And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Three ah! are United States Astro Robots. They come a creature of death. Oh. And they. We have come here to this planet for. One purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. And welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B Movie Podcast from Class of the Colts and all the cheese in between. The movies are B. Darren Heyman is grade A. And I am your host, Mr. Jason Jacanetti. And I'm joined once again by my dad, Mr. Al Jacanetti. Good morning, Jason. Today we go back to the 50s. I thought we had done every giant monster movie uh, in our in our podcast, but we left one out so far. Called The Deadly Mantis in 1957. Yeah, and we'll get to it right after this. the bodies. Easy. In all the kingdom of the living, there is no more deadly or voracious creature than the praying mantis. You think you'll be able to drive it out to sea? I hope so. Every device of military science, every defensive weapon, radar, planes, rockets, marshaled to destroy a thousand tons of beastly fury. A monster leaving a trail of carnage. Spreading panic across a continent. Give the alert button. Yes, sir. Nothing in its path was safe. Not the planes in the sky. Not the ships at sea. Nor the vehicles on the ground. You boys might just as well go back. There aren't any bodies. And then this most dangerous monster that ever lived challenged the security of our cities.
The Deadly Mantis was released on May, well, in Los Angeles, it had a debut May 1st, 1957, and then across the U.S. May 26th, 1957, with a 79-minute running time. Um, it was uh, production company was Universal International. Your director is Nathan Duran. Now, Nathan Duran, of course, um, he as, a, as an art director, he won an Oscar for Best Art Direction in 1942 for How Green Was My Valley. Um, and then he's worked on the, the 1946 movie The Razor's Edge, earned him an, uh, an Academy Award nomination. nomination. And then he went to work on Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. So, um, because, you know, that's the career path. Oscar, <laughs> Oscar nomination, giant lady <laughs> with, uh, thank God, you know, all her clothes on, looking for her husband. Um, your producer was William Aland. Um, now, William Aland's we've talked about before yeah. um, as many, a producer. Many, many. And he actually also wrote the story for this, too, um, with the screenplay by uh, Martin Berkeley. Um, and then you have uh, your... Um, like I said, it was Universal International, uh, who was your production, and they also did distribution. Um, your uh, cinematographer, one, it was Ellis W. Carter, and then your music went uncredited to Irving Gertz and William Lava. Uh, and your stars are Craig Stevenson, uh, Alex uh, Talton, and William Hooper. And we'll talk more about them as we go in. Um, so the um, this movie was, uh, again, 1957, so we're talking about it's it's not the it's not obviously one of the originals, but it's it's right in the wheelhouse of Tarantula yeah. and all those ones that are considered to be the quote unquote classic big big bug movies. And um, uh, the Deadly Mantis is renowned for being one of these movies. It's actually part of that's those sets we were talked about, which has it in there, which has Tarantula and stuff like that as well. So um, and that's why this movie this movie has was for a long time not available. Um, it wasn't, it, there might've been a VHS of it at the time, but it was not something that was readily shown on TV. It wasn't yeah. available. Um, and this, it kind of built its legend up, um, of the movie kind of thing. And yeah. then eventually it came on DVD and now we have a new brand new Blu-ray of it and everything else. Like I mean, yeah, that was, I mean, I, I saw this movie, I mean, not when it was first run, but it was, it was part of a Saturday morning, uh, you know, compendium of, of Westerns and comedies. And I, I, I must've seen it when I was either 11 or 12. And I thought it was really good. And then I hadn't seen it again until, well, when did we get the, uh, the DVD? Those sets, those, those sets came out, I want to say, mid, like 2004, maybe. I was say, it, it was a it, while ago. So it was almost like 40 years before. before yeah. Yeah, well, you had it on, there was a VHS, because we saw it as kids <clears throat> on a VHS. But it was not something, it was like Black Scorpion. It was not readily available right. for a very long time. And that was part of the problem, as it's not yeah, readily and, available. And back then, and back then, if you... Uh, you either had to rent it, well, yeah, um, which didn't exist, which didn't yeah. exist, and if you found it and you bought it, I mean, I'm trying to remember. We, I thought I probably did. Was I probably yeah, you bought found it? it. Yeah, it's, it, 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 I don't know. I can't say for sure. It was one of the sinister cinemas, which was those movies like the Black Scorpion and things yeah. like that were never available, and you bought them out the back of a ca ca your cable catalog kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, but those had that was how we found some of these the big bug movies from the 50s because they just weren't available anywhere else, and they weren't shown on TV, and it was, so there was not. It wasn't so. The problem was this. Universal sold through all the Universal horror movies as the Fright Package, which was what you people saw them in the 50s and 60s. So they saw Dracula and Frankenstein and all those things. The, the Son of Fright, which was what sold through the second ones, had a lot of Universal pictures, this being one of them, of that, but it wasn't part of those packages. So people would not have seen this on Elvira or seen it on Svengoolie yeah. or seen it on Zachary because it just didn't exist there. And if you did see it there, it was rare. Now it was sold through again 
this would be on Spengoolie. This is like, I mean, Spengoolie will show you like Invisible Man. He'll show you like House of Frankenstein. He'll then show you like Village of the Giants. Like there's a wide range of movies that are now available. And this is the type of movie you would see, Tarantula and stuff like that. Um, now, I don't remember seeing the Deadly Mantis on Spengoolie, but I'm saying it's, it's part of the package now because they go try to get these movies. At 79 minutes for a two-hour episode, it fits perfectly in the time sure. frame he needs. There's no very little editing. Sometimes they have to pad a movie. When they get a movie that's only 64 minutes, they're like, we got to pad. You're going to notice more of me in the studio and less of me here. And he says it in the episode um, kind of thing. But at 79 minutes, this thing actually fits perfectly right into their slots with their little gimmicky you know, lead-ins right. and his little you know, you know, jokes here and there. And they, but they have to have so many commercial breaks. So um, for those of you who are not uh, – uh, Spengoolie is not something you know. Um, that is currently the horror host who's on MeTV. Um, kind of thing. And Spengoolie's been around right. 40 years. So, you know, very big in the Chicagoland area, too. All right. So, um, this is this is uh, Nathan Geron's first science fiction film, right? And he said he wanted the opening sequence, like the way that he introduces it. He really wanted to make sure that that introduction was there because he wanted people to understand that there is science behind what we're doing. Right. And Geron, he, he eventually made uh, a couple of movies for Harry Potter. Yeah. Well, he did. He did um, some boys, yeah. yeah. What I'm saying is, but, 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 but they go from this. No, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, it's just funny to say you won an Academy Award for How Green Is My Valley. You're on for the Razor's Edge. You're up for it, and then you made the Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. I'm just saying that's well, that's a know, career no, but Again, those he won the Academy Awards for uh, art direction. Art yeah, direction. No, 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 I understand. Yeah, no, he I understand. wanted to, he He's wanted to get behind the camera. Yeah. And, and so what they what just like anything else, where do you start? You start at the bottom. Yeah, I'm just saying is. Certainly, no one's gonna no one's gonna mistake attacking a fifty foot woman yeah. for Citizen Kane. Yeah, uh, uh, you, know, so. you talk about you talk about science. I mean, let me let me so we'll start yeah. this just before the uh, when when the when the uh, there are no credits right away, but when the movie starts up, there's a there's the uh, requisite um, volcanic eruption going on, and and it looks like the end of the world is happening. And the narrator says, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Now. I mean, as a, as a as a ten or eleven year old boy watching this movie, I okay, that's fine. I, I I don't think I've ever I heard that in school, but their interpretation of an equal and opposite reaction was that a volcanic eruption at the South Pole triggers the opposite reaction of warm water at the at the North Pole to free the mantis. I mean. There's one thing about, if you want to dig all the way down, you probably can come out of China, but I don't think that a volcanic eruption in the South Pole is going to warm the waters in the North Pole. Well, but that's the butterfly effect. The, yeah, the, well, no. the flap of one butterfly's <laughs> wing, uh, you know, if you crush, if you kill one butterfly, if you go back in time, could spell the end of man as, it, as it's known, yeah. you know, um, which is, but yeah, so uh, yeah, the movie opens in the South Seas, you have a, a volcanic explosion, eventually, eventually, see, it says eventually right here causing the North Pole. So it, it was just one thing leading to another to another. They very, you know, mouse-trapped it around kind of thing, right? Um, icebergs to shift. Uh, below the melting polar ice caps, a 200-foot-long praying mantis trapped in the ice for uh, millions of years begins to stir. Soon after, the military personnel at Red Eagle One, a military station in northern Canada that uh, monitors information, gathered from the distant early warning line Realize that men at one of their outposts are not responding to calls. Okay, so let's just hang on to it there. I love how they describe 
nothing says this is 1950s better than here's the first wave of our defense. Right. Here's the next wave of our defense. Oh, but we got more. Like there, and just in case anything tries to sneak over, over. and I'm like, man, and yeah. nothing says look. We know there's communists over there, and we know they're coming, and we're gonna set up these defenses. Like it's so 1950s, and again, yeah, the red clearly, scare, yeah. the red scare, I, and, all, and I know that's all real. I understand that, Dad. But I'm saying it is, but nothing screams this is the 1950s. Like here's this line, and then we're in the middle of Canada, and then we're at the top of Canada. You know? Well, the thing is, this, I mean, this that that believe it or not, it, that sets the tone for the entire movie, mm-hmm. and well, they use it, they use it exactly the way, but that. But it also it also adds to the to the to the, one of the problems with the movie because it the op- it opens with all that, that stock footage and it lasts for almost a long for a long time and then it continues throughout the movie. I mean, it's one thing to pad the movie because you only got fifteen minutes or forty seven minutes worth of acting, but you can't keep showing stock footage all the time and then talk over it when. When you see the stock footage, it doesn't look anything like okay. the actual so, footage. So let's just let's just, we can just talk about it here. On the Blu-ray, so on the DVD, it's not as noticeable, but on the yeah, Blu-ray, oh my God, is it noticeable? So, but um, and we'll get to the part when when, when the jet lands and you see the pilot coming out. And Hitler's like, okay, I said that's stock footage, and then and then it makes a cut where you see just a ladder and a guy, and there's now less guys. And I go, that's that's new. And Haley goes, how do you know? I said, watch, we round it back. He said, look at the grain in the film, look at the way it's shot, look at the way the camera is. Now look here. She goes, that's not even close to the same. When a 10-year-old can pick that out, right. it just it's just jarring. The, the worst part is, is that I fully understand why they're doing it. They're using the stock. I get it. I, there's, there's no way they're getting jets and right. copters. Like, they are showing a lot of military stuff, and I understand that. The problem is, our, it's too clean now. When it was grainy, when it was an old beat-up VHS, you might not have noticed it as much because you're like, ah, it's grainy. Okay, it's grainy. Because this the, the footage from the actual archival army and, and military footage, you can't clean it up because it was shot what, in the 1940s and 19-whatever, you know, kind of thing. Out of a, when they're shooting out of the cockpit of a plane, like, you can't reshoot that unless you're in the cockpit, cockpit of, a of a plane. So, no, I get all that. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing, I mean... I, I understand, you know, what we're, we're talking about uh, using stock footage. Stock mm-hmm. footage, it, it, it moves the movie along. Mm-hmm. And, and most most movies uh, uh, in in the fifties like this uh, use stock footage. But the, when we had we had talked about, there's there's a way to use stock footage, like right. the land unknown. Yeah, or or the, or believe it or not, I, the best the best use of stock footage was the uh, the abominable snowman of the Himalayas yeah. because. When they show the 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 actual actors walking mm-hmm. right. uh, with their when they had the stock footage, they actually used the the, the same the, thing, the, the yeah. same the same clothes. Yeah. Well, that's what he called. That's the a land unknown. They matched up whatever the number on the side of the helicopter was yeah. was the same number there. But the thing is, in this movie, they don't show you any jets. They only show you the jets in stock footage, right? right. So there's no jet to compare it up to. So they didn't have to worry about that part of it. Yeah. The issue becomes, though, the people getting in and out of things are different heights than the people who are standing in the scene, right. which is what the issue becomes. Yeah, and, so. and, and the other thing, you mentioned the, the jets. There's There are scenes of jets constantly in the movie. Same scene. Uh, same scene, and, and it's the same one. At least reverse the – because you, you can't see the numbers, so reverse the film yeah. so that you see the jets flying left, 
yeah. or right, yeah. but not the same yeah. thing. Haley said that too when you were watching. So that's the same scene, Dad, isn't it? Yeah. It is. So where are we? Okay, so uh, commanding officer, Colonel Joe Parkman, who's played by Craig Stevens, um, and uh, he flies there to investigate and finds that the post has been destroyed and the men are gone, and there are giant slashes left in the outside snow. So Craig Stevens, real quick, um, he, people would know him as Peter Gunn. From 1958 right. to 1961, that's, yeah, that's his main thing. You people know him from. Yeah. Um, he passed away in 2000, um, but he was a he, Peter Gunn was his main main thing. And again, he was in other movies and stuff too. Um, you know, he actually served during World War II. Um, he during World War II he served in the United States Air Corps First Motion Picture Unit um, kind of thing, and then um, he went on to make you know movies for Warner Brothers and then after Warner Brothers, whatever, um, you know, all through the 40s and the 50s and stuff like that. But his big role everyone knows him for is, of course, being from Peter Gunn. Um, so they find those giant tracks in the ground, and it looks like, and it's weird. Haley goes, well, how come there's not snow filling them in? And then what happens? He goes, well, what's left of them? And he makes a point of saying Dang that. Yeah. Because Haley goes, it's been snowing the whole time. Shouldn't those be filled in? Because literally, when we're watching this movie, guess what it's doing outside? It's snowing. Because this winter, all it's done is snow. Yeah. So, um, uh, when the radar blip is sighted, uh, Joe sends his pilots out to investigate, but their intended target disappears. Soon an Air Force plane is uh, attacked by the deadly mantis. Um, when they search the wreckage, uh, this time they find a huge slash and find about a five-foot-long pointed object in the snow. Well, it actually falls in through the roof, technically, right? And the snow falls in. Um, and, he, and they take it to General Ford, who's played by Donald Randolph, at the Continental Air Defense, or uh, Conad um, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Now, the giant piece of cartilage—I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's an appendage from it. They don't—they don't know what it is. It, it looks—it's it, not a seed pod. So, just in case anyone's worried that there might be body snatchers, right? But it's—it's it's clearly they're like, what the heck could this possibly? Because because no, that's the problem is it doesn't matter if it was small. You can say, oh, okay, it's from this kind of animal. There's no animal that big. Yeah, like. And but the thing is, the inside is clearly spongy, right? Which I thought was a good thing because think about it: it's if it's if it's a spur, the inside of the spur is not solid bone, and even if it is solid, it would look spongy on the inside because right. it's a piece. Yeah, the, uh, the you know when 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 after I watched this, I went outside and looked at my mantis, mm -hmm. and it's it's a spur. It's it's a it's a like on on like his spur, legs. Or, yeah, yeah, he's got and uh, what I don't know what they're used for because he's not slicing and dicing, but. Well, if that had, it hooks and grabs. If, if, yeah. it, if it had broken off, okay, he would have, it would have hurt a little bit, I think. Yeah, well, he's attacking a plane, so. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> All right, so Ford, uh, uh, General Ford gathers top scientists. Now, General Ford here, I just want to say, um, he, I don't know, he's supposed to be a general. He does not seem like he's very with it. No, like he he's and of all the people, I'm like I just didn't buy this guy. And the thing, I mean, it, he got his uniform off of the rack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Ford gathers top scientists, including uh, Professor Alan Gunther, who is uh, Flores uh, Ames, uh, to examine the object. But they can't determine, they can't identify it. And uh, uh, Professor Gunther uh, recommends calling Doctor Nedrick Jackson, William Hooper, who's a paleontologist at the Museum of Natural History. Now, William Hooper, we all know who he is. Paul Drake from Perry Mason. Whatever else he might do, he is always going to be Paul Drake from Perry Mason to me, right? Yeah. Um, but of course, he was in uh, Twenty Million Miles to Earth. Earth. Now that was around this time. It's like what a year. No, it was earlier because it was one. It was the first one. It was the, yeah, it was right after 
uh, bees from twenty thousand fathoms. Yeah, but it's not. We're not. We're not talking the forties. It's a couple. No, of no, years no, no, yeah. no. It's probably yeah. fifty-five. Right. Yeah, yeah, but it's right down the same yeah, time. Yeah. Right, same time. So again, not an unfamiliar face for people. But again, on Perry Mason, he probably is well and, known for that. And, I mean, and, at, and at, the, at this time, Perry Mason was the number one show. Yeah. On CBS. Yeah. So think about it. In Perry Mason, you had the guy who's from 20 million miles to Earth and Deadly Mantis and the guy they stuck into Godzilla after Godzilla got to the U.S. You know, kind of thing. Um, what's Della doing? She's not even in any movies here. You know, kind of thing, right? But as a kid, we watched a lot of Perry Mason at 12.05, you know, on WTBS and whatever. So um, it always trying to struck me as funny. When you see him, I'm like, oh, Paul Drake. And then remembering his actual name, I mean, his name, if his name was really Paul Drake, it'd be a lot easier for me. Well, he was Hedda Hopper's son. Yeah, no, I know, and, and, but, 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 no, but, no, but people don't really. Hedda Hopper was the uh, the uh, um, the page six of, of, of her time with yeah. the with the gossip yes, columnist. Yes. But I'm saying is, but if his name was really Paul Drake, it'd make it a lot easier because that's what I right. call him all the time, right? Well, that's what mom do. Mom, yeah. mom, mom went, oh, Paul Drake. Yeah, that's, that's who he is. So, um, all right. When Neg gets a call from Ford, he is helping the museum uh, magazine editor uh, Marge. Blaine, who's Alexis Taltown. Uh, now, she um, went on, where is it saying? Let me go here. Um, she appeared in, like, um, The Great Jewel Robbery, 14 Hours, um, uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much, stuff like that. Uh, she was not a, she passed away from lung cancer, unfortunately, in 1992 at the age of 71. Um, but she's not one, she's not someone we've seen in a bunch of different movies. No. Um, whereas, like, Faith de Morgue, who we saw in, um, but uh, it came beneath the sea and uh, the cur- and the uh, cult of the cobra and stuff like right. that. Or um, and I just blanked on her name. The one who's in uh, the the giant claw and black scorpion. I can't think of her name right now. It'll come to me later. It'll it'll come to yes, me. But it's useless, Moreno, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yes. right. But what I'm saying is, so, so it's, she's not one of those recurring actresses in these things. So and she's staying, and again, her role is that she's an independent woman doing what kind of thing. And I think that reads well for this kind of time. She has to, she's like, well, I'm, you know. He, she's, well, she's the news she, editor yeah, for well, the Museum right, of Natural history. history. So she's like, I am important. I'm going on this trip. Like, I'm doing these things. She's not given. So that's one of the things I just want to mention here. Because so people kind of say, well, every one of these movies is all exactly the same. Well, if people are thinking they're all exactly the same, then you haven't watched them close enough. Because in um, It Came From Me to See, uh, Faith the Morgue, she's a scientist. Like, she's not playing around. Like, you know, kind of thing. Like, um, in, um, the, the, the deadly, not the, in the giant claw, she's the mathematician. Like they, they're involved in all this yeah. stuff. Well, even in, in, in them. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's what I'm saying. But, the, but people kind of blanket statement, these movies, the women do nothing but scream. Right. Okay. Well, if I'm standing there and there's a 200 foot mantis, I would scream. It doesn't, it's not a woman thing to do. It's just, it's a 200 foot mantis outside your bed. James Arnest screamed when the, when the ant got close to him. Well, and them. yeah. Well, and, uh, well, uh, well also, he also got like hit in the head with the, the, the beam falling on him, too. Um, and he had flashbacks to the thing. Um, so, But the problem is, is that I think sometimes people paint this a too broad a stroke. It's too much right. like they're scream queens and stuff. That's not what's happening here. No, this I mean, is there, not. There are, there are screen, screen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scream. Scream queens. Queen. Queens. They oh, are, like, but this they, is not them. This is not. Yeah. They are. They are scientists. They are journalists. They are involved. Now, if you said we want to go back into like the 30s and 40s and women have very different roles, I 100% agree. Because movies there, they're the damsel in distress. They have to be saved. This is not the case here. Um, this is not the case in a lot of movies in the 50s. And again, people, again, broad stroke. 
But when you look at them and you start actually looking at, especially the, the, the science fiction movies, they, women are given roles because they were like, look, she's a good actress. Let's get her acting. Because you didn't have as many good actors and actresses just lining up to take these roles. Yeah, well, again, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the studios had all the actors and actresses under contract. Yeah. And if you were an independent or a small one, how are you going to pry a, 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 an actor, a, a decent actor or actress from somebody's mm -hmm. contract? It just didn't happen. Yeah. And who knows? Now, this, again, was universal. So they might have had a, a cadre of, of, of people, you know, under contract. And it was her turn to, uh, right, to go make saying, a movie. Right. But, but, but even, like, like, people always say, like, well, you know, like Julie Adams, all she does in the Creature of Black Lagoon movie is scream. She's a scientist with the other scientists. Yeah. Now, she happens to be the only one who looks good in a bathing suit. And so he's like, hey, this is like he looked in a bathing suit. And let's be honest, if a creature, if a Devonian throwback creature climbed up on the side of the boat, I mean, I didn't see any of the other guys like, oh, let me jump in front of her. They were like, oh, no. Right. I mean, one guy throws the, the lantern at it, but that's about it. Anyway, I digress. All right. So where were we? Uh, okay. So, um, okay. So he's working, Ned's working with, uh, with Marge, uh, to plan the next issue and, he, uh, dodges her questions about, uh, she, cause she wants a big scoop. She goes, I would like something even from this century kind of thing. Right. Cause he's talking about bones. Now there's a scene where she's taking pictures of bones. She's the head of the magazine. You think they might open the case and let her take pictures of the bone without the glass in front of it. Cause Haley said, why is she taking pictures? Through the glass. And then, and then and there's a security guard right, standing. Security guard standing right there. He could have opened it, let her take the picture, and closed it. And I go, that's a really good question, Hale. He goes, oh, wait, wait, are they afraid she's going to steal them? <laughs> I said, you know, like, I don't know. It's like, it, like I don't know. She's got sticky fingers. No, you know? Again, what, no, no open, what it means is. you don't know. If you opened up the case, I mean, the dog could come and get no, the no, right, no, the whole point is because they didn't, they put him in there, and then no one thought about it. They're like, just take, start taking pictures of things. So it would make a lot of sense if she's taking a picture of like a T-Rex or something, like, you know, uh, you know, kind of like in, right. um, in the Peace and Trying to Fathoms yeah. when they're working on the giant, there's a giant dinosaur there. Yeah, well, okay, well, you're not going to, you know, you can't go, they're taking pictures that way. But like, just, they're not big. They're like little things. And I'm like, why? Through the glass? Like, that's not going to make the best print ad. That's what I'm saying in the magazine. Um, so uh, Ned recognized, okay, wait, later after examining the object, Ted, uh, Ted, Ned recognized it as a uh, torn-off spur from an insect's leg and soon guesses from the evidence that the creature was eating human flesh that it must be a gigantic praying mantis. Now, here's the logic problem here. He said, unlike um, grasshoppers or cricket, whatever he said, right, whatever, whatever unlike uh, grasshoppers or locusts or whatever, the, the mantis is a meat eater, except those other things eat meat too. Now, the difference is a cricket who's like, you know, yay big, probably is not taking down a frog, right? Like, because praying mantises will, when, when, and if they're hungry enough, right. will take down their size. They'll eat frogs, eat small frogs. They'll eat, I mean, it might be hard for them to eat a small rodent because it might be too big, but they eat other insects. They eat, they eat each other. They eat like whatever. But so do like locusts and grasshoppers and all those other things. They eat meat too. Now they eat grass as well, but they will also turn carnivorous and eat things. Yeah, I mean, after, after they've, he's, they've, Determined that it's that it's or he determines that it's a praying mantis. The the uh, very dramatic scene when he shows uh, Marge and the uh, other professor, yeah. uh, you know the the picture of the mantis. Well, I love how he doesn't say it. 
And then she's like, you mean this little cute bug? And yeah. I'm like, he goes, and then he goes, hey, let me read it. This is his voice gets, gets to be almost, uh, um, you know, um, Shakespearean. He goes, in all the kingdom of the living, there are no more deadlier or voracious creatures than the praying mantis. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. And then we go to the next scene. Right. So um, the thing is, uh, you know, he's now made this, and now, now, now we learn it's the mantis, because, of course, they couldn't have the mantis. Like, he couldn't just say, well, it's a deadly mantis, right? Um, uh, so, uh, meanwhile, in the Arctic, the people of an Inuit village spot, hang on, the mantis in the sky, and although they hurry to their boats to escape, it swoops in and kills several men. Now, that footage is from SOS Eisenberg from 1933. All of it is. Right? That's what it's from, right? So it's from it's actually from SOS Eisenberg nineteen thirty-three. Now here's the problem with that. How did you find it? I looked it up. Well, right? Here's the problem with that. That footage is shot like literally at double speed. It is there. No way they move. It's well, it looks comical. Yes. And well, I'm like, well, why they, would you no, but here's the thing is the footage is fine. Slow it down. Just slow it down a little. It looks wrong. Like, I get it. They're supposed to be like, oh, they're hurrying and whatever. But like, what? <laughs> I mean, that that they found, well, again, I I, I didn't realize that. The, yeah, it's from a movie. Where you yeah. got it from. Yeah. But what, what what struck me was that the, the, the initial scene shows them coming out of their huts and looking up at the sky. Yeah. Now, what were they, what were they looking at? See, I thought when, when I initially saw it, remember what I told you? I said, they must have, they must have gone they, uh, and hired them to come out and look at the sky. Like, like if you were I were so the I have no, I've never seen SOS uh, Eisenberg I've never I have no idea what that even right but it's 1933 it's got to be a documentary I don't know I mean well, what, but again but I'll what, tell you right now but they but they had then they have close-ups oh it's not a documentary the, an exhibition goes in search of a party lost for years before years before okay um starring Gustav Diesel I don't know, good Lord this lady has got like 12 consonants her own her name there's a whole bunch of people I've never heard of um, and this man has unfortunate eyebrows, um, but it's 1933, and there, it, and it, it's survival on the icebergs. Oh, okay. It, so, and it, it's all right. got six and a half out of ten. This is like a classic that I've never heard of in my town. I got it, folks. Man, I haven't heard of everything, but I don't even. I know. I mean, no. I when I saw this, I I didn't realize. I thought that they had that the I knew it was some stock footage. Yeah, but. When when they show you the faces of the of the uh, the Eskimos up close, they all have these goofy looks on their face, like yeah. a director is saying "smile," yeah, and they don't know what the word is. And if he says "pizza," they don't okay. know what the but word here, is. The thing is, I, I bet. And again, I'm not saying because I don't know this for sure, but I bet they actually went and filmed actual Inuit oh, people, no, I bet you. and they're standing like, "Look here," and they all yeah. look, and so they just got the shots they wanted. But it's so fast moving. You're like, wait, is this on purpose? Well, the other the other thing too is that the the mantis is flying at 600 miles an hour. Yes, right. They get in they get in these canoes and are paddling their their their, their fannies off right. to go after it. I mean, at this point, he's well, already they're trying to escape or whatever. <laughs> I'm not sure. See, the other thing is, they really look like they're going to go attack it, but they're not. They're trying to escape because the one guy falls, the, the right. canoe falls on top of them, and or whatever. And I'm like, man, that guy ain't getting out of there. And then they have the mantis coming, and it's like junk. And I'm like, okay, so it, um, it's. But again, that's part of that's as we started in the beginning. It's part of the problem. You you if you're going to add stock footage, yeah. do it correctly and don't make it. I mean, this is that's a perfect scene for uh, Mystery Theater Thousand. Yeah, Mystery Theater Thousand. Three thousand. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, okay, so real quick, I just I just came up with you, uh, Alex Talton, uh, um, Talton, who's you know our female lead here. Um, she actually was on an episode of Perry Mason, and people said she actually looked a lot like Della Street in the movie. I yeah. told you she looked like yeah. her, right? Um, she was actually in the 1958 episode, The Case of the Long-Legged, Long-Legged Models, where she played Eva Elliott. Um, so I'm just saying uh, that, you know, that's the, the connection there. But again, not somebody who's in a lot of these normal movies. All right, where were we? Where we were looking at the people running away. Um, okay, Ned is sent to Red Eagle 1 to investigate further, and upon leaving, discovers that Marge has managed to get permission to accompany him as his photographer. When they reach the base, where all the men, including Joe, are smitten by Marge. That's probably the nicest way to say it. Like, now this... I mean, they are... Oh. They are... They probably, Either they haven't seen a woman in years, or they're just too horny. I mean, they could have brought... Margaret Hamilton from the as the witch of the, uh, the wicked witch, witch, yeah. witch, and they still would have formed all over. Right. The problem is, is that they make the joke. Well, they said there's a woman behind every tree. Good luck finding a tree. a tree. And I'm like, okay, like I get this, and I and I understand this, but like this is the groan-inducing part for me. Like the stock footage is bad, and like it doesn't match up, and the quality is bad. Okay, fine, but this I'm like, ugh, because it doesn't just end. It, it, it goes it on and on right. and on, and I'm like, they got to dance. Yeah, yeah, like this is just like, oh, okay. Like, this is the stuff where you're like, and this makes us look bad. Like, I always tell it, it's like, read a book! You know, kind of thing. Luke will get that joke. Um, that kind of thing. Like, you, it, it makes the movie look bad there at that point. Whatever you might feel with the stock footage or the concept or anything else, this makes the movie look oh, groan-inducing. Now, in the 1950s, it was like, oh, of course, because they're up there. And those guys, they're at the North Pole, you know? And it's like, ugh, you know, it's just, you know. Like Stewie Griffin, <laughs> you know, there, there are there are certain there, there's a scene just before they leave in, in uh, Ned's office where uh, she's packing his uh, valise yeah. to bring right. So what does she take? She takes a book and his nameplate. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> like when he goes to the cafeteria, he's going to put his nameplate in front of his dish. Yeah. This is my spot. Yeah. All right. Uh, that night, Marge and Joe join Ned in his uh, his office and discuss the creature. Not realizing that there's a that it's drawing closer to the window. Okay, so in Tarantula, the Tarantula is walking up to the window. Right, right. It's creeping up to the window, and then she turns and screams because now there's a giant Tarantula. You can see the mantis outside, and Haley goes, "Why doesn't she notice the mantis?" And Kelly goes, "Yeah, shouldn't she notice the giant mantis outside the window, or shouldn't any of the guys looking at her see the giant mantis?" And I go, "Well, she's very interested in the helmet she's looking at." She's like, look at this helmet. It's got fangs. And she's because all of a sudden she goes from being this independent, smart woman to being like, oh, shiny stuff. And I'm like, oh my god. And the two men go from being a general and a scientist to being like, oh, we're in an office. Like, why? Why do we dumb the scene down? Because you want the people to see the mantis. Because it's not like the mantis is getting. See, the mantis was far away and getting closer, right? Close. That would make perfect sense. Exactly what they did in Tarantula. The mantis is outside the window. Right. It's like, hey, what's going on in there? It's like, who is that? Don Knotts? What's going on? And you kind of think, right. like, yeah, and that and that and that scene the, it takes the, it out of you. Just just before just before you see the mantis in the window, uh, the, the first time you actually see, uh, I'll I'll use the word mechanical because I'm not sure how it was done. It's puppets. I mean, it was uh, what's his name, Clifford Stein, who was a well known uh, uh, special effects mm -hmm. guy at the time. He's the one who did this now. When the man, when you see the mantis walking, uh, the, 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 it was one thing to see the ants and them going because they had the, the rods up the back mm -hmm. and you didn't really see the ants with the legs moving. 
This one is a little more complicated because a mantis has long, skinny legs. Yes, yeah. And so as he's walking, it's very stilted. So, but, okay. But, but, it, but it's effective. That scene where he's, yeah. where he's, he's come down, obviously he's not flying, so you don't hear the, the wings, right. uh, you yeah. know, chattering. But when he's walking on the, on the, the snow to get to the building, that's probably the, the most effective scene in the movie. From the mantis's right. point of view, okay. so it's done with rod puppets, the same way like that was done, yeah. kind of thing. And there's no way. I mean, if you were doing this with stop motion, it would look very, very different. Um, if yep. you use just a live mantis the entire time, it would look very, very different. different. But clearly done with rods, the same way they did the ants and them. Um, so again, uh, I, I, I still don't know how they actually show. I mean, they, they, they must have used again, even on the Blu-ray, you don't see any wires no. to make the legs move. So they. That maybe they're just off camera rods. Yeah, yeah you're, you're moving. Yeah. It's not. It's not a marionette puppet like the no, the, right. the uh, giant claw. Right. It's a puppet puppeted underneath. Underneath. Yeah. And they actually could have been. What do you call that? They actually could have been under the under the floor, puppeting them below yeah. the rod going. And again, the, like I said, that that's the scene I remember the most from when I was a kid. And when 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 it's when when you see it in the movie, at up to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, because you haven't really seen the mantis at that point. Yeah. Well, you no, know, but, but again, but when you do see, and then when you see the mantis afterwards, it's just a, it's basically, uh, a, I'm going to say like a cartoon that, that they, they've got going. In well, it's not, a, it's not a cartoon. It's well, just, it's the same effect. It's a traveling mat. Yeah. Okay. The traveling mat. That's what it is. So, um, uh, so Marge suddenly catches sight of the mantis and screams and the bug attacks the building. Uh, though the full unit opens fire on the mantis with automatic rifles and flamethrowers, um, it's unscathed and it uh, is able to. It moves away only to um, only after an aircraft carrier uh, aircraft encircle it. Right. Hours later, the base remains on red alert, but they finally hear that the bug has attacked a boat off the coast of the uh, Canadian coast, which means that Ned calculates that it's flying at about 200 miles per hour uh, forward calls a press conference to announce the bug's existence and asks the Ground Observer Corps to track its whereabouts. Now, if there is nothing else that screams it's the 1950s, it's the, the people outside, oh no, it's my job, I'm going to watch the skies. Like, oh my God, if you told people now, look, the fate of the world depends on you just watching the skies for five minutes, they tell you to go stick it, I'm not doing anything for you. And then some conspiracy theorists would say, like, it's aliens, you know, kind of thing, right? This is everybody. Let's go, kids. Every, right. Who's who's that guy? Oh no, it's this is Fred. We're good. You know, kind of thing. It started in Great Britain. Yeah, in World War Two or before World War Two, when when the uh, the Germans would be bombing uh, London. Um, I remember in, when I was in school, uh, even in, as, a, as a, in kindergarten and first and second grade, that uh, you know uh, that that was something that that you yeah. you you were considered to be um, you know. A, a line of defense, a good, yeah. line, a good American to to, to yeah. save the country. Yeah. Now, the, but again, that, but that stock footage, but that fits. That's what I mean. That, but that stock footage was probably shot closer to when the movie was made. Exactly. Not in the 1930s, right? Where, where the where the Inuit people are literally like you know Ben Johnson running over whatever you know kind of thing. And again, um, so, but this is this was this part of, of the movie where they they're inserting stock footage works. And yeah. It works well right. because this is exactly. What you you had wanted. Some of the other things didn't, but what happens? What happens at this point? Again, the narrator's coming through, yeah. and now they're showing um, headlines from newspapers all across the world. And then they have, then they have one headline, and it, it just struck me because the, the the headline reads: Congressman calls mantis 
hoax. And, and well, that, that's when they have to have the press conference to show you it's real. This is real. Right? Like, no, no, no. But I'm saying, but again, the, as in today's environment, well, yes, that, I mean, where have we heard that word used? Yeah, you well, know, recently. And, it, it's but, it's always a hoax. Right. But uh, but the thing was, but the people didn't want to believe that there's a giant. Like, they, they would always have to be somebody who doesn't believe there's a giant mantis flying. That there how can there be a two hundred two hundred foot long mantis flying at three, you know, faster than a jet? jet? Like how can these things happen? You know, and it's like anything else. You know, um, you know, it's what Ripley even says. Like, you're not going to believe that they come up and bite you, you know, right there. You know, like, that's the whole thing. Like, even in Aliens, like, you don't believe me. Well, why don't we go there? And I'll show you this is real. Like, because no, everyone's always, first thing is to be skeptical. Over the next few days, Ned and Marge, Ned, Marge, and Joe. Ned, Marge, and Joe. It sounds like an old episode of the Sid Caesar show. Uh, tracks the bug uh, progress with the help of the military and civil observers. Late one night, Joe, Joe drives Marge home. Stopping briefly to ask her for and receiving a kiss. So he got one there. Yes, that's on the way home, right? No, oh, but he, does he get one? Yes, he does. But oh, yeah. then, but he gets a kiss. But then, uh, then they're distracted by the report of a nearby train wreck, right? So uh, because you know nothing kills the mood like a train derailing. I don't, uh, I don't think they. Actually, I think they do. I'm no, pretty I'm, sure they do. No, I, I wrote down that they. I said at 54 minutes in, time for a kiss, not needed and not gotten. Well, I, I, I could have swore he did. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Well, no, because he gets close. The thing is, that he's there. Well, he's 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 driving her home uh, from wherever they uh, wherever they were, and they they the fog has got them has got them stopped. So they they sit there, and then he leans over. I couldn't. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. But no, but no, but it, no, but it does because they. It doesn't though because guess me what happens. He the well, mantis derailed a train. Yes, it but, killed a whole bunch of but, people. But they got the, the radio on and there's nice soft music. Yeah, okay. And then it's, we interrupt this program. Right. So uh, they're distracted <laughs> by the report of a nearby train wreck. And although they assume it's an ordinary accident, uh, soon after a woman leaving a bus sees the mantis. Now the mantis attacks the bus. So Haley goes, Dad, didn't you build that? Says to me, Daddy, didn't, didn't you build, build that? that? I go, no, no, Haley. That's the War of the Colossal Beast that's holding the bus. She goes, didn't you build a mantis crushing a bus? I go, no. We built, the Grandpa built a mantis holding a plane. She goes, Oh, I'm confusing them, and I'm like, you know, in her most matter-of-factly, you know, you know, telling me to basically but, screw you know, off. Like again, the hit now. This is the second, the second uh, scene in the movie that that really that, that works. The attack on the bus, even though it's too short, it's very effective. And then we don't see the train crash. No, it's you like, just see the aftermath, like in in the Black Scorpion. Right. You you actually you see the Lionel train, train get knocked over by the Scorpion. I think they maybe they said I don't have a Lionel train to knock over, so we're just going to go with this. So, but they had a toy bus. Um, so all the emerging personnel, of course, put on alert. The mantis is sighted in Washington, D.C. On top of the Washington Monument, maybe the best-looking mantis seen in the entire movie because it's, it's a, a real mantis. mantis. And they got, and Kelly goes, how'd they make the mantis go up the thing? I go, they probably got straws and blowing air up its butt because that's how you move, that's how you move um, um, insects especially. You do it by blowing air through a straw and it, it influences it. You, they're they're influencing them the same way I'm a math influencer. They are influencing them with air. Um, but it's a great scene. But it's real. It's real quick. But it's so great, just crawling up the Washington. It's monument. almost like it's almost like when you see Kong claim in the Empire State Building. It's it it's it's from it's from a distance. Yeah, but not okay. But Kong Kong at the Empire Empire State Building shot way far away. Yeah. So Kong's very oh, small. No, no. Yeah, it's yeah. very clearly a real mantis, mantis. and yeah. you can see because it looks good. And you're like, wow, that looks great. It would look really bad if the mantis was used force perspective the entire movie. But in this one scene, because the Washington Monument is so tall, yeah. there's not a whole lot of skyline. In in Washington, D.C., folks, if you've never been there, there's not a ton of skyline behind the Washington Monument. 
Washington Monument is so tall, it's especially when you look up at it, there's not like competing buildings. Right. It's not like down in New York City. Oh, I'm looking at this building, but there's a building on either side, you know? So it, it looks, it's a good looking scene. Uh, Ford leads a team that seals off the tunnel. Uh, oh, sorry. I skipped the part. Joe is one of the pilots who attempts to drive the mantis towards the sea, but a dense fog throws him off course and they fly directly into it. As the wounded mantis drops to the ground and crawls into the Manhattan tunnel, Joe safely parachutes to the ground. So it's at the Washington Monument, but now it's back up to the uh, Manhattan Tunnel. In right? New York. Because it took off and started going north. Yeah, which is which does not exist. Right. I, I, I think, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of which one is the one that comes in. I think it's the Holland Tunnel, uh, not the Lincoln Tunnel. The problem is, though, if you called it the Holland or Lincoln Tunnel, people wouldn't necessarily know that across the nation. Well, but but the Manhattan Tunnel, they went, yeah. I know where Manhattan is. No one's thinking Kansas. No, so <laughs> but, but, I mean they they haven't used fictional cities all the way. They keep yeah. talking about Baltimore, Washington D.C. No, no, right? Because the, the, but the thing is, everyone knows where Baltimore is and Washington D.C. and like whatever. If they had said it's headed to New York and it's going through the Lincoln Tunnel, people might say, "Well, the Lincoln Tunnel." Like they not know that, yeah. right? So it doesn't matter because there's not not really any tunnel that it's not a real tunnel is going to anyway. So Ford leads the team that seals off the tunnel, filling with smoke to provide cover for Joe and his special unit of men who enter the tunnel armed with rifles and three chemical bombs. They creep past wrecked cars until suddenly the bug appears in the fog um, a few yards away from Now, this scene is shot really well. There's a lot of, like, they, they fill the thing with smoke, obviously, and it really makes the mantis, because now we're talking about a big mantis being used in this kind of thing. This is clearly a giant puppet, kind of like in them when they had the giant yep. puppets, right? Um, it works really well. It kind of hides it. Um, the same way that when they drop the when they throw the grenades down the uh, the anthill, it hides it there. The same way underground, we're in shadow. We have the the rubble falling. It hides it well enough so your eye says this is real. Um, and I always thought that was the best part. To me, the most iconic scene in this movie to me is is either climbing the monument or when it's laying dead, just a giant like it's just laying there, it's just completely right. slumped over. Um, but these scenes work really well as it's kind of like through the fog there. They shoot at it, but it lumbers on. Um, forcing them backwards. The Mantis sees, um, seems immune to the ammunition and the first chemical bomb only a few feet from the tunnel enters. Joe throws a bomb in his face. It collapses dead, right? So he's now gassed this thing, right? Um, and that's the scene. With the scene of the Mantis laying with its appendage sticking out, it's very famous. It's actually the cover of the um, uh, Crestwood House uh, magazine, uh, not magazine, uh, um, book from back in the day from the Crestwood House Monster Series. Um, and that's, again, it's not the cover, it's not the poster, but it's, again, a scene that a lot of people recognize because that's the scene they often show when they show a, like, they show the Deadly Mantis, and the picture of the Deadly Mantis is that picture, because it's such a good-looking picture. It makes a good still of what's happening there. Uh, a still isn't a still photo, not a still you make moonshine in. Uh, later, uh, Ford, Ned, Joe, and Marge enter the tunnel to examine the bug. Uh, Marge photographs his face, and while the men are walking around its side, um, Joe suddenly sees the mantis arm move and runs to protect Marge, where he scoops her up in his arm. And again, this is where you're like, oh, we don't really need this, but okay. Um, and then Ned explains the bug movement was just an auto autoimmune or auto auto reflex, auto -reflex kind of thing, right? Um, but Joe takes this opportunity to pull Marge in for his embrace, and then he, his, he gets his kiss there in the tunnel, which is still full of gas and a dead giant mantis. Um, and a lot of people are dead in the tunnels. Anyway, so... Um, the, the the very end of the movie, because what happens? He throws the camera to him. I'll take the pictures, you know, kind of thing. It's like, all right. And, um, so the Deadly Mantis um, was um, 
you know, the reception at the time was that it was, um, it wasn't given a whole, it was, it was considered a rip off of them. And, and, right. and the problem was any movie after the, them came out first and set the bar so freaking high that it's like really hard to catch up to them. But if you leave them out of the equation, it's, it's just as good as like Tarantula or any of the other ones by way of like the story and the effects and stuff like that. Now with this Taz, Tarantula does not have nearly the stock footage in it that this does, but Tarantula's also kind of got a lot of zany stuff at times too. This, I, I think of this in the same way I think of like the Black Scorpion or whatever. All those movies at the same time. The, the, the bug effects are good. Like it's, it's effective. You believe that it's a real, a real mantis. You believe that it's, you know, whatever. Um, it actually used to be on a double bill with the spy movie, the girl in the Kremlin, which I've never seen, um, which kind of weird does put them up. Um, but the problem is a lot of times it's kind of given, it's said that it's not original. It's just, it's too derivative of the other movies. Um, but I think if you're making a big bug movie in the 1950s, your job was to put butts in seats. And I think this poster, you know, the Mantis, uh, you know, uh, whatever poster they might have had out front, and, you know, kids are coming to see it. This wasn't made for high cinema for adults. This isn't up for an Academy Award. No, it's just, it's we, made for kids to watch on right, Saturday. Saturday, yeah, yeah. Saturday morning. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you talk about the derivative of them, I mean, I, I didn't mention it at the time, but there's right early in the beginning when, when they first uh, go and see the, the weather station that's been broken, the, the line is, this has been caved in. Yeah, not pulled out. No, no, well, that's oh, no. that's from them. That's right. This was caved in. This was this was caved in. Not is this cave, caved out? Not this is caved out. Not caved in. Yeah. And he goes, well, this was pulled out. And I'm like, or did you mean it was caved out? Is that what you're trying to say? But yeah. and, but that and oh and there was to show you one of the things that that was that's that if you're looking in in the background again when we watch these movies when it, we're watching for just about everything we can we can get our eyes on when the the, there, it's a it's a top a top wing plane, uh, four seater or whatever mm -hmm. it is lands, uh, you know, by yeah. the weather station. Right. Okay, the wind is blowing. The plane is like a balsam. Uh, yes, it, yes, it is. It's about ready to fly <laughs> off on its own. Here he goes, man. They better tie that plane down. <laughs> <laughs> so all of, again, they had no money, so yeah. they just built a, a, a balsam prop plane, yeah. Yeah. and. Uh, I mean, it, it's just too funny for words. But again, you're not going to reshoot it. No, 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 it's, no. You, it's part of the scene. So it was just windy. Yeah. So uh, this was released by Universal uh, as part of the DVD set, the classic sci-fi ultimate horror collection volume two, which also includes Dr. Cyclops heard on the show, the land unknown heard on the show, cult of the Cobra heard on the show and the leech woman heard on the show. So we have now finished this box set. You can put this box set to bed. And I tell you, and three of the movies are really, really good. Well, and the, again, Cult of the Cobra is what it is, and The Leech Woman is stock footage central. Like, right. The only movie that maybe uses more stock footage than this, because Leech Woman uses a lot of stock footage, although it's not really technically stock footage. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 basically shows you the oh, highlight yeah. film of the entire first movie, first movie right? Yeah. And then it shoots an, you know, an additional like 20 minutes of actual footage. But that's not stock footage. That's just, that's just flashback. But The Leech Woman was where they went use all the stock footage of Africa yeah. stuff, right? You know, like we're in the wilds of Africa. The people walking, not the same color, not wearing the same clothes, not even the same number of people. Like, at least here, they were all in the military. So it's not like they showed a bunch of planes and then people got out right. and were like farmers, right? You know, kind of thing. At least they all were in the military at one point there. So, um, but that, uh, and then Shout Factory, of course, pumped out last March, about a, about a year ago. Um, they pumped out the... Uh, um, 
the Region 1 Blu-ray, uh, which Dad has and I have as well. Um, and, you know, again, being March, folks, this marks our five-year anniversary. This is our five-year anniversary show. Um, and as we try to go through and do things, you know, we make sure that we're trying to uh, we try to keep things, we try to mix things up and keep things fresh. And I know we've talked about a couple of, you know, 50s movies in a row here, Incredible Shrinking Man, Cult of the Cobra, you know, Deadly, uh, The Deadly Mantis. But I can assure you that all three of those movies are vastly different than each other. So it's not like they're all 1950s, big bugs, exactly these cookie cutter things. Um, and we hope that uh, people have enjoyed, um, you know, the, the, the five-year run so far and, you know, look forward to the next, you know, however many years is going to be um, as we try to kind of keep mixing things up. Um, the Deadly Mantis is one that um, has been brought up. People have brought up in the past and said, "Hey, you know, we're going to do the Deadly Mantis. Like it's coming. You know, just like Tarantula was coming, and uh, you know, we did Black Scorpion or more early on." Um, but again, when you start looking at the the giant bug movies, um, people think that there's like thousands of them, and there's not. Um, there might be bug movies out there, but from the and if you want to talk B movies from the 1950s, giant bugs, there's really not that many, and some of them are like. Uh, the beginning of the end, bad. Oh, yeah. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, I mean, not that we won't cover those kind of things, but, like, anybody can talk about how bad the killer shrews are, or anyone can talk about how bad whatever, but, like, we're trying to bring you quality stuff so you can go ten times watching it. If we sit down and watch a movie, and we're like, God, this thing is atrocious, don't waste your time, okay, maybe you, you know, may or may not watch it. But we're talking about trying to get some classics in here. And again, it's not that we didn't talk about some crazy movies. I mean, last year we did talk Iron Sky, you know, one and two. Oh, and those are nuts. They're good movies, though. Yes. What I'm saying is, but when you watch something like um, The Beginning of the End, that's the one in Chicago with the grasshoppers, grasshoppers right? right? Where you can't drop an atom bomb on Chicago, um, which is one of my favorite lines ever from a movie. Um, but the idea is when you watch something like that, you're like, okay, like... This is the derivative. This is the ripoff. Wait, there's no creativity. Yeah, there's nothing there. It's just, it's just. Let's pump this thing out. And again, I'm not bashing all the movies like this, but when you start looking at things like that, um, you know, Day of the World Ended and things like those kind of movies, you're like, all right, this just. You, you, there was there was a little bit of an idea, but they're like, eh, we don't really have the time. Let's just kind of make something that looks like everything else. Um, and that's part of the what we're kind of trying to make sure that we. Well, you know, another there's another one like that that. that I, we, I don't even think we've discussed it, but uh, uh, as as one we might do. But what I remember from the fifty, like I said, I remember this movie as being a lot better than than it is now when I'm watching it. It has its it has its couple of moments that last a few yeah. seconds, but that's it. There's another movie. It's called The Monster from Green Hell. Yep. Okay, and that has I I don't know what you. It's call a bug. Some it's just some bug. But bug. again, I remember that movie as being really good, and I happened to see it. Just a while, I, I, may, I think it might have been during the Halloween, uh, uh, right, 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 on on uh, TCM, and man, it is atrocious. Yeah, there's just no, there's no way to, and again, the the bugs, when, when you see one bug, it's just like the, the they must have put the, the rod, rod in, yeah, the and rods. that's it. But the rest of the movie, it's just unwatchable. Right, because because again, it was shot for cheap, and it was shot, and, and again, and not to try to get too far off what we're talking about here, but the idea is that like we're trying to, because uh, you know. As we're going through and doing these, we're trying to mix things up and keep the mix fresh. So even if it's a, a couple of 50s movies in a row, Credible Shrinking Man, Cult of the Cobra, and this movie, and, and Deadly Mantis, all very different films. Um, um, you know, Credible Shrinking Man was aimed at a completely different audience. Cult of the Cobra was, you know, again, it's it's a Saturday afternoon kind of movie, but it's got a very different tone to it. And this has got a monster, big mug, you know, get, get, get the kids in the seat, get the popcorn in their hands, let them watch the monster movie. You know, you know how these, this, the, the most important thing about these movies, 
when I was growing up was the poster in the window. Oh my God, the poster I mean, sold it. Coming next week, yeah. the Deadly Man. Whoa, look at that. Yeah. Danny, my, yeah. my brother, I said, yeah. Danny, we got to go see this. Yeah. But that's isn't that the whole thing, though? Um, so there's uh, there's a documentary um, that some people didn't like, but it was, it was all about poster art. and talked about how poster art changed and how in the 1990s poster art became um, the actor's face on a black background, and now that's what you know things have become and whatever. But the real poster art, the poster art where it was drawn and things like that, it, the poster art sold you the movie, no matter how bad the film was. It, 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 I gotta see this. Like this looks awesome. Like, and and sometimes you like that looks awesome, and the movie was great, and you're like, oh, this is a win. And, you know, and the other times you're like, what? You know, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, but it, you know, that's that's the, the the poster for this, and it's it's, it's a classic. The there's a lot of um, even like um, the monster that challenged the world, right? The poster for that movie, people are like, oh my god, look at this thing. You don't see the mollusks that much in the movie. In the end, you do, but you don't see them a whole lot. You see a lot of goop, you know, kind of thing. There's a lot of goop, uh, but that's it. But we and we talked about that movie before on here too. So, all right, folks. So this again is our five year anniversary. Thank you all of you who've been with us on this ride. If you're new to us, hey, go back and listen because uh, you know, just because it's not new. Uh, to everybody, it's new to you, you know, kind of thing. And uh, you know, check out the the previous ninety six episodes before this, um, and you'll hear obviously Dad and I talking uh, giant monster movies and you know robot movies and whatever. And you'll hear like uh, my brother Luke and authors like John Lemay and uh, uh, Jonathan Inbody, and uh, you know creative artists like we had Ralph Sutter on and stuff like that. We've had a bunch of different people in the our our ninety you know ninety seven episodes now deep for five years and we're looking to kind of keep going from there so did you see this movie in the theater do you remember seeing this movie as a kid do you remember watching this movie like you saw it maybe you're like oh i remember seeing this at a drive-in like in a retro i don't know something like that did you see some along those lines hey do you did you have a fond memory of you know for the uh, the the, uh, deadly mantis were you terrified of the deadly mantises because you thought they were going to come to your house and you know sneak up outside your window go hey i'm watching you you know kind of thing um, we'd love to hear about it, folks. Shoot us an email, and we'll definitely get to it. So, what we're doing next? Because, as you know, um, you know, we have to always look forward, but always never looking backwards, but always forward, but always spinning, spinning, spinning. Um, uh, episode ninety-eight. We're going to start our uh, our coverage of a lot. Okay, so uh, author John Lemay has been on several times, and we've talked about lost movies and lost things, and like like lost sequels and stuff. And I said to him, hey, I said, do you ever hear like the TV show? It's pretty much a lost TV show called Dark Room. And he said, no, what's Dark Room? And I said, it's James Colburn. And they shot, they, they were supposed to do a full season, but they only got seven episodes out. And there's only, there's 16 segments. And then they got canceled because of what happens in like episode three or four. Um, really got a lot of people cheesed off at the network. I said, it was on ABC, but it was shot by Universal. And so it lives in a limbo. And I'm, he was like, I've never heard of it. And I, and the truth is, except for a German release of, or I think it's German, uh, it might be Aust- Australian. I don't remember. It's one or the other, but it's all in English. Um, release of it. It's never been on DVD anywhere. Um, and I found it on uh, the gray market back in the day at Chiller Theater, you know, kind of thing right, right at the table. Um, and now Peacock doesn't carry it. Peacock carries everything universal. They won't carry it. But NBC.com, if you go through their app, on like the fire stick, which is a lot of convoluted way to get to watch something, they'll carry it. And I said, this thing is pretty much lost. And I said, well, why don't we review this? Because I bet a lot of people don't even remember Darkroom. And Darkroom, when you when we watch them, again, some of the stories, you know, are better than others, and we'll talk about them as we go. Um, there are some stories in here you're like, wow, that's really good. 
And I guarantee you, there are people who saw Darkroom in 1981, end of 81, early 82, who misremember certain episodes as Twilight Zones, yeah. or as Night Galleries, Night Gallery. or as Amazing Stories, or as the Night as the um, um, Twilight Zone remakes, or as Monsters, or all the things that either came before or after. Because this series is lost. Nobody. I have never met anybody else who's ever remembers it. They rem And I say to them, do you remember this? Yeah, but I remember that being a Twilight Zone. Oh, no, no. no. It was this. So we're going to talk about episode number one. We're going to cover just the first episode. We're going to split it up. It's going to take time. And then the movie that eventually comes after. We'll talk more about that as we go. But we're going to. Th that's the next time you'll hear Dad and I together as we uh, um, talk about episode one of The Dark Room. All right, Dad, so I think we're, we're good on the Deathly Mantis. Yeah, I'm good. Yep. So, folks, like we say, uh, so first of all, thank you very much for your support. You know, five years going strong. We'll keep going uh, right through 2021 and uh, from, you know, keep going forward. So, as we say, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which, at this very moment, still prevails and could, at any time, lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi, folks. Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti. And search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Giaconetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow.
Will you stop?